2: Welcome to Wood Talk for Woodworkers by Woodworkers. Now, here are three guys who like to use a lot of words yet say nothing at all Mark, Matt, and Shannon.
3: Welcome, everybody, to Wood Talk number 137 for June 19th, 2013. On today's show, we're talking about choosing between the router plane and rabbiting block plane, our personal book recommendations, areas of woodworking where it's actually okay to skimp, and burnishing scraper planes. That seems wrong Okay we'll find out If that's all correct (laughs) (laughs) Anymore I screw that up Every time But hey Before we get to that Let's hear a quick word From our sponsors Today's show Is supported by Arbortech Makers of creative Wood shaping tools They're turning 25 This year And to celebrate They're holding A woodworking competition The competition Is simple and fun Show yourself using an Arbortech tool to make a project. The prize package is $1,000 worth of Arbortech tools. For more information, check out their blog at blog.arbortechusa.com. And by Festool, helping woodworkers get better results in less time and with less mess to clean up afterwards. Visit them online at festoolusa.com. All right, well, first I'd like to say welcome back, Matt.
2: Yay, Matt. Freaking frackers! That's right.
3: <laughs> so glad no, to have you time, back. This time, I'm real. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I'll tell you what. Since you probably don't have a lot on your bench right now because of the whole
2: vacation thing, uh, how about you go first? Okay. Well, actually, I have... You know, this is almost one that could fall into the in, into the questions that we potentially could be opening up later on. But you ever help out a friend or never. you take on a project? No, I Well, I kind of <laughs> know you never help out a friend, Mark. <laughs> that's kind of a given. Yeah,
0: I don't have any friends. <laughs> well, that's
2: that's I didn't want to be say, say it like that, Shannon, but I kind of <laughs> knew that, too. So um, but anyways, you ever help out a friend, though? And something you realize once you get there and you look at it, you're like, this is not what I thought I was getting into <laughs> all the time. I, yeah. And that's kind of, well, that's what usually when I send you an email so I know that's your, usually your response. Like, whoa. Well, it's like <laughs> based hey, on the last time. I know you have a truck. Uh, want to stop by for a little bit later on? And you find <laughs> out that they're moving. And, and
3: that's why you've been, you've been asked to come over. Yeah. That and usually people,
2: starts with a, Hey, you have a truck, right? <laughs> no, no, I don't. <laughs> I traded it and in. That's why I drive a Chevette. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but anyway, so I have we have some friends, and they have some uh maple tops. They they are they have a bakery that they're starting to move into a, a new location, and they picked up these inexpensive, inexpensive uh, maple tabletops, mm-hmm. and they noticed that one particular area the grain was having they're having some problem with it when they were sanding, and they said, "Well, do you think you could take a look at it because?" you know a little something about wood. And I said, well, I, I guess so. <laughs> so I came over with some nice sharp planes and some scrapers and about mm, two or three passes into it. I said, so you guys got anything to eat? Because there is nothing I can do for this tabletop. It's It was one of those grains that was just, the more you tried to get into it, it was this end grain that just kept popping up right in the center of the board. Because if you're looking at the side of the board, the grain is doing the thing where it's like, it has a hill, and it's coming at it from both sides, mm. and it was just the weirdest thing. So it's like the more you took off, the more this end grain kind of stuff kept appearing. And I finally just got to the point that I said, I, I really I have to walk away from this. I'm sorry. I hope you don't hate me, but <laughs> I'm walking away, and I'm taking these cupcakes with me.
3: <laughs> now, did they get this – is this like an uh, IKEA benchtop type thing or – like where no, did, it was
2: originally it came from. Uh, see, it was a. It's an old abandoned school tabletop, like a work surface. Oh. I can't remember if it came out of the shop class or I think it came out of the shop class because I know there was, there was concerns about they want to use it for to some degree food food production, you know, they're gonna roll out some dough and stuff like that on it. So obviously it couldn't come from a chemistry lab because who knows what has gotten into it. Hmm. But it was definitely in a in a in a safe environment where there was not too much exposed on it. So hmm. it was definitely second hand. And looking at it, you could tell it was like laminated really weird. It almost looked like one of those shop teacher, really bored, had those kids that you just didn't know quite to do with it. So glue these kids together. Glue kids. me up a tabletop. <laughs>
3: Very nice. That sounds like no fun.
2: Yeah, so it was it was hot. It was an un uh conditioned workshop area. And I, I, luckily, though, they were very receptive to the idea because after, I think, 20 minutes of me sweating all over the place, <laughs> they were just happy that they didn't have to clean up the puddles that were being left underneath my feet.
3: And Matt just says, screw you guys. I'm on vacation. This is, <laughs> this is way too much work for me.
2: Where's the coffee shop? And again, <laughs> do you have any more of those one special uh, cupcakes that have that rum stuff inside it? You know, right. rum? Is there it in you know. there?
0: <laughs> very cool. So let me ask you: Is planing in grain easier with mineral spirits or with sweat? <laughs>
2: uh, actually, uh, I found the the sweat to be very, very productive. Although I was so blinded by it because it kept rolling into my eyes, it felt like <laughs> <laughs> mineral spirits.
3: <laughs> God, that's Ew. terrible.
0: That's nasty.
2: Apparently, I need to cut out some of the uh, the the pomade or something I'm putting in my hair. <laughs> but I don't know. Wow. That's gross. Um, <laughs>
0: What's I, think, the I, think, <laughs> I think Mark was trying to pass it my way before that pomade comment. Um, let's see. You guys remember, I don't know, some time ago, one of these episodes, I talked about how I was having uh, issues with my thickness planer. Yep. And it was like um, <clears throat> I had to put like, weather stripping around the dust shroud because mm-hmm. it kept filling up with dust. And that dust gets into the gears that operate the chain drive that raises and lowers it and uh i kept getting more and more dust piling up and i was like what is going on here i checked the seals everything was fine and i discovered that there's there's a shroud that comes off the blade and then that goes into a housing that the fan spins in well that housing is held together with like i kid you not like paper clips <laughs> they're like, you know those those like clips the little with the black part that you you squeeze and they come apart they're meant to hold like larger Paper, not like your typical single wire paper clip. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, they're held together like that, just on a tab. No this, this little clamp clip that holds it on. And two of the clips on the actually three of the clips on the back and the bottom had come off. So it was sucking it up from the blade. And as it put it into the into the fan where it spins it up, it was just shooting out the bottom of this little housing. What? So and the worst part was is I found it. I yeah you took one of those like you know crevice tools on your on the shop vac to kind of get down in there and suck things up right. i sucked up the dang clip oh nice and so you get that <laughs> ooh, you're like oh shoot what was that Jeez. i just sucked up something i wasn't supposed to so i opened fortunately you know it's it's a shop vac you just lift the top off and i found that little that little paper clip thing and i was like what in the world how did that get in there I start digging around and I find that there's three more, and it, they are like so jammed underneath the housing. I almost had to use tweezers to like reach in there and put them back on. What? Um, so, really, really weird um, to, to see DeWalt doing that. But I think the problem got even worse and somehow it's gotten down into like the gearing on the posts because the planer is frozen. Oh, it geez. will not adjust. Now it turns on and off, works great speeds change the thing works so as long as i never have to plane anything that is more than i think i had it set to i was obviously doing four quarter something and it was like the last pass so it's probably like right at seven eighths of an inch or something like that oh, so as long as i don't ever have anything that's greater than about you know 15 16 inches thick <laughs> and don't need to go any thinner than seven eighths i'm perfectly fine oh that sounds like I a lot started, of my projects It's great. It's no problem. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to go, inspired by Mark's book, I'm going to embrace a hybrid woodworking shop. I'm going to hand plane everything to 15, 16 (laughs) inches thick, then run it through the planer for that last time. Where there's a will, there's a way. Well, the the worst part is that it's so frozen, and I was just trying. I was thinking, all right, it feels like something is actually caught in there. Mm -hmm. So what do I do? I cannot figure out how to get to it. I can't take any more screws out of this thing and take it apart anymore. <laughs> you know, it's it's like I have to like take a chisel and crack open the housing in order to figure out how to do this. So I was like, all right, well, what am I going to do? Why don't I just see if I can't get it loose just by twisting the crap out of the handle? Right. So I snapped the handle off. Oh, no. <laughs> <Yep>. oh, no. <laughs> Pretty much uh, the next thing was find the nearest DeWalt Service Center and say, Help. So I, the 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 time has come, I think, for me to pull the trigger on that bigger Grizzly planer that yeah. I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do that like a month ago. Um, <laughs>
3: it's just
0: – So so. In, was,
3: in your best estimation, is this an anomaly with your unit or do you think this is kind of a cautionary tale about this particular model?
0: I don't think it's a – I don't think it's a cautionary tale about the unit. Well – I mean the thing is more than six years old mm-hmm. i don't know what the lifespan of those lunchbox planners are um but i have a feeling that it's it's a problem that's exacerbated by the excess of wood dust chips inside the housing right because there's no question up until this point i would clean the chips out of there and it would run you know like grease lightning again so that was obviously the problem because the chips they get between the chain and the sprockets and essentially that chain is drawn so tight to begin with to mm-hmm. allow so that there's no slop in the mechanism. Right. So just the tiniest little thing between the chain and the sprocket causes it to to you know not move cleanly. Yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, I cleaned it out and it worked just fine. So the only thing you can figure is it it that dust, that excess dust in there somehow got down into the posts themselves. Because there's obviously all that chain drive does is turn the mechanism around the post because the posts are threaded. So there's, there's something inside the housing that's spinning around and causing the whole system to, to move up and down the threaded rods. And all the chain does is move all four posts at the same time. right? Um, and it's obviously grabbing and the front right post, which is, I think, where well, that's where the handle is. That's what the handle attaches to. And it, I think it's probably just become like jam packed full of shavings, mm-hmm. but for the life of me, I can't figure out how you're supposed to access it.
3: Right. Well, especially considering the problems you've had, and the just in general, how much I don't know personally how I how much better I think that these uh, like the 15 inch floor models and and bigger. Um, it's a night and day difference in. in plainer quality generally once you go to that bigger size. So I think you're really going to enjoy it, partially because of the problems you've had, but just in general, the quality is, is a little bit nicer. They're quieter. Um, I think you're going to enjoy that grizzly.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it, it, there's just been a couple things holding me up. I don't have 220 in the shop, so I've got to get that mm, yeah. you know wired in. Fortunately, I've got space on the panel, so that's not going to be an issue. But I do need to call an electrician because I – I promised my wife when we bought this house that I wouldn't do things like that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Like I've I've done that too in the past, where
3: I've done a lot of the electrical work, and it is one of those things that sometimes you go to bed at night and just in the back of your head you go, you know what? I'm not an electrician, but I did right. that, and now I'm kind of thinking I shouldn't have. <laughs> you
0: know, you no, know, oh, I'm, I'm I can like change the light fixture, and I probably could do this, but it's yeah. like. No, no, I made a promise. I yeah. won't be doing that kind of electrical work. Right, yeah. I've done a lot of <laughs> 220. Codes. Yeah, I've done a lot of 220,
3: but that's what it comes down to is like, okay, I understand the basics, but code is something that really can vary uh, dramatically yeah. by region. And I really would rather have a professional sign off on this and tell me that this is up to code uh, totally. than me do it myself. So smart. <laughs> well, you know, you get into
0: like special, uh, specialized tools and things. Now, granted in this particular instance, there's not really that much, you know, I've got a pair of wire strippers and you know, wire cutters, but mm-hmm. you know, like when you get into plumbing and you need specific tools, <laughs> you're like, nope, yeah. <laughs> that's when it's time to call the plumber. Yeah. But needless to say, I want to get this one fixed. Um, because I'd like to pass it on to somebody. Sure, you know whether whether I sell it. You know I probably sell it for a, a, a song anyway, just to, to deal with it. But it's a good planer, and as I say, it's it a popular works. model. A lot of it people just, have that. Can't adjust the you just can't adjust the the, the height at all. Yeah. No big deal. Um, hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm gonna uh, hopefully get it down to the There's a local DeWalt service center. See, we're fortunate. Black and Decker is actually based in Towson, Maryland, just down the street from me. Oh, so, cool there is a service center that i can take it to uh, i'd be curious to see what they say you know if it's like oh that's 300 dollars and it's like yeah the planer itself is only like 500 retail so yeah probably not they'll anyway probably
2: look, they'll look at those clips and be like oh, man we were missing these from the office how would they get in yours <laughs> could you imagine why would you put paper clips on this you know what, that's
0: that's something interesting though i didn't buy that new i bought it in like from a dewalt factory like reconditioned deal Um, Now, it's always been my understanding, you know, when they do the factory reconditioning, that it's almost as good as new. So, just be curious to see, hey, are these clips standard? (laughs) (laughs) Was this a, quote, upgrade? Let's see what happens. (laughs) Nice. That's when they can track
2: it down to that one location, and they're like, this is why we no longer use them. Yeah. So, I guess the moral of the story
0: is make sure that that it's clean (laughs) inside there. Make sure the dust is going where it's supposed to be going. Because obviously it causes a problem if it you know, builds up. I was cleaning it out. At one point I was cleaning it out like every other use. And it was like when, I, when I'd open it up, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot of dust in here. You know, It was visible buildup. Yeah, just um, got to keep after it. Yeah, wow. and it, now I know why. I mean, it literally was shooting right out the housing and just filling it up inside.
2: So that's crazy. Cause I, I have my reconditioned rigid and I'm trying to think of the last time that I, I deliberately cleaned out, you know, any of the dust chute and stuff like that. I mean, it had to be like really, it was a long time ago and mm-hmm. I've actually used it, believe it or not, con- considerably. So, yeah, uh-huh. well, you know,
0: I think that that's the advantage of this model is it has like the built-in chip ejection fan in there. Yeah. That's at least how DeWalt sells it. <laughs> um, you know sometimes that extra bell and whistle can cause extra problems nice anyway,
3: cool. what about you, mark? What's mm, going on? uh nothing that dramatic that's for sure. <laughs> uh, I have been working on well the tilt top table came to a close, but one of the alternative um uh posts that I was showing people how to to make is a spiral. So I've been carving the spiral, doing the ball mill thing, and this is inspired from a David Marks uh, table that he did on Woodworks. And I posted a picture of the post, and of course on on Facebook everybody's like, you know, they want to see it. And uh and I'm thinking, all right, well, I've made this post. I didn't actually incorporate it into a table. What can I do with a spiral um to just to make something interesting, you know, that would be good for for a quick video or a small little project. And I was like, you know, it looks like it might actually make a decent little candle stand. Like if I could just put some flat surface on the bottom and a flat surface on the top, I might be able to do something with it. So of course I go into that mode where it's like, all right, great idea. This is going to be like a quick knockout project. Very easy to do. The whole point is to show the carving of the spiral. Uh, What I do with it after that is kind of secondary. And then I am stuck because I'm like, what can I do with this spiral to transition it to a base and a top that actually looks like it makes sense for the piece. So then I go into one of those, I don't know if you guys do this when you do try to design your own stuff, where you just, you hit a wall and you're looking at ideas, you're looking at a ton of like Google image searches just to try to get inspiration for how to resolve this one particular thing and I just, I was trying a bunch of different things and I know a bunch of different ways to do it but none of them look great to me. None of them looked, none of them like really matched the coolness of the spiral. And didn't really do it justice. So um, I'm still trying to come up with a good option, but at the same time, I'm like, I really just want to show people how to carve a spiral. It's not even—it's <laughs> not even so much about making a candle stand, but I'm now sort of like stuck on it. And it just—you get to this point where it freaking hurts your brain. I mean, literally, you're sitting there thinking, and and it—it actually—that's one of the most uh, out of all the things I've done with with schooling and like challenging myself mentally with things. Designing stuff when I hit that wall and I can't seem to to bust through it hurts my brain more than just about anything I've ever done. Yeah,
2: I totally. try to avoid it completely.
3: Yeah, and it tells me that you know this is this is why some people are are born to do this. Like there are people who are just great designers who can come up. Right, with this stuff. is it one
0: of those things you can learn? Or I you think just you born can.
3: You can. I believe that you can brute force teach yourself to think outside the box and and follow certain um you know certain general rules, but. I don't think anything can really cause you to just come up with this inspired idea. I think a lot of that is inside. Um, And I think we can kind of, I don't want to say fake it, but we can kind of force ourselves to come up with creative solutions to situations. But I think there are just some of us who are better at it than others.
0: Yeah. I mean, I know for me, it, any any like bolt from the blue basically can be traced back from some other inspiration mm-hmm. like you know oh well that's basically just a derivation of that picture you saw in google images you know yeah um it, but like i'll you. talk to i'll talk to a guy like john funk and i'm like dude where do you get this stuff you know <laughs> yes. i mean there's someone that was born
2: to design right um yeah, yeah. i'm not one of them <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's funny because I, I had a very, very similar that conversation with those friends from the from the bakery when I was there trying to come up with a good excuse for why I wasn't able to fix their tabletop. And the, the, one of them was just recently on Cupcake Wars, you know, that Food Network show. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And talk about like inspiration. That was one of the things that I I was saying to them was I'm like, I don't know how it was that you start out with this idea. And particularly for their show, it was like the space race. And you have uh, here's Russian food. Here's American food. We want you to come up with a great combination based on these, but in the form of cupcakes. I told them I I looked at I watched that show and I don't care how much I know about these things. Mm -hmm. My inspiration would be like, I quit. I'm done. I'm out of here. I'm going to be able to come up with something. And but he looked at it for like maybe five ten minutes, and because he had told it's like in, 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 you know behind the scenes kind of a thing, they told them nothing about what was going to be happening. it was purely you know surprise once they actually did it yeah and i said i just i don 't have that in me, no matter how hard I try to come up with stuff and it 's the same thing with I even posted on Facebook you know kind of looking for inspiration blah 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 blah. blah. And I – I like a lot of people I know can look at a piece of wood and immediately they're like, okay, the wood's talking to me. It wants to be this or that, that particular species. I want to do this, this, and this with it because it's just – I want to bring out that beauty. I look at it and go, it's wood. I'll force <laughs> it to be what I want it to be. Right, <laughs> you know? right. I just – I don't know where it comes from. And a lot of our friends, thankfully – are exactly those people that they, they are naturally gifted with this inspiration, and they can look at something and, and just come up with the most amazing things. And I'm like, I'm stealing that from you. I'm sorry. It's, <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you back in the next time we go out to dinner. But right, well, I am stealing your idea. Well, and probably a lot of it go so
0: far to say that your wife is one of them, Matt. I've seen her photography. I mean, some oh, of yeah. it, The 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 I don't know what you call it, staging or just the the composition. Of her
2: images. She's obviously got some of that. I I look at it and go, oh, that's so cool. I would have never thought to do that. Yeah, and and there's times that I'm like, please, help me. And she's like, no, I don't think so.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, have you ever ever been in a situation where, and this this definitely applies to, to woodworking, where you see someone who does work that you you really respect and there's something about it that you think is magical but then maybe a couple years go by and you evaluate their work a little bit more and you start to see that some some of what they've done is, is, well, I mean really are there any truly new ideas is right. one of those things you have to ask but a lot of what you may see this person doing is actually very derivative of other things you just didn't know about those things previously and right. and I think that's what most of us I mean really that's what the best for the average woodworker I think who's not you know trying to to break any records or or really wow anybody they're just doing it cuz they want to do it I think maybe the best we can hope to do is to take some great ideas get some inspiration from other great ideas and just riff on them you know like have fun with them take it in our own direction put our own spin on it never really just copy for the sake of, of copying but use other people's inspira- like ideas as a starting point and then, and then go from there I don't really think there's anything wrong with with woodworking that way that's how I mean something you make that's a riff on someone else's could inspire another person to make something completely off the wall different but it took your iteration of it for them to be inspired by it.
2: Right. I mean, I, one thing I can do for sure is, you know, people talk about thinking out of the box and I get credited for this all the time at work and in all sorts of places. I, I'm very good at troubleshooting. When mm-hmm. I see something, there's just that part of me that's like, well, why don't you just try this? Right. So when it comes to trouble thinking and thinking differently, I, I, not to toot my own horn, but I'm actually pretty good at it, believe it or not. A lot of people really don't believe that's possible, <laughs> but, but I am. But when it comes to like, you know, the inspiration, I've never had one of those moments where I sit up in bed in the middle of the night and go, oh, my God. I've got a design <laughs> and go from there. It's just never happened. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, I mean, and this this particular thing is that type of thing. I'm waiting for that one answer and it's, it's a mixture of the two. I'm waiting for this inspiration to come along that solves this problem. So it is a problem-solving thing, but the problem is how to elegantly transition from one thing to another and that is takes more than just you know some random inspiration it takes uh, knowledge of what actually looks good what this thing should do to properly terminate and then become a different part of this this candle stand um right. yeah so i it, mean if
2: i if i can ever figure out how to find a muse i i think every muse out there has decided that there's no way in the world they're coming near me <laughs> i have no muse i mean like well, kind of do but i can't really talk about that <laughs> family show uh, but, you, you know but at the same time yeah i just i i i kind of know that pain the, what you're going through right now, but I know you also will find a way around it. So I, I think what you're seeing is it's
0: indicative of the fact that you never intended to make more than just a practice piece out of it. Yeah, I'm, so it's I'm like your entire you know idea was all right. I'm just going to carve this. You never thought about integrating into something else. So now, no matter what you 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 do, you look at it and all you see is that practice exercise.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: And, you know, someone else may look at one of your ideas and go, "Oh, that's so cool! How you blended it in." and you're like, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, I meant to do that. Yeah, pretty much. Cool. All right, let's move on to the
3: news. Uh, We've got just a couple things in here that you should know about. First, if you didn't get an email, if you're not on Festool's list, you don't know about this, maybe. Festool has a reconditioned uh, tool I don't know if you want to call it a sale; these are just discounted because they're reconditioned tools, and you can actually save up to thirty percent. So, if you've been thinking about getting a Festool and you can't uh, justify that high price tag, you could find a bunch of dealers that are participating in this thing, and you can get some reconditioned tools. It's at FestoolUSA.com/power-tools/reconditioned. Of course, we'll put the link in the show notes for you, and that's it. Get on it because I bet it's you uh, that limited the, numbers. Uh,
0: the festival reconditioning, they use like fancy German paper clips. That's true. Yes. It's
3: not going to fall apart like that cheap DeWalt. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, like that. Um,
0: I threw one in here. Uh, Bad Axe Saws is having a 4th of July sale. So, between any order placed between now and 4th of July, you get 10% off your hmm. Bad Axe Saw. And as I understand it, um, Mark and his team up there, I think there are like two to three weeks turnaround on saws now which yeah. is just ridiculous. If, you, if you've if you ever ordered a tool from a boutique kind of one-man maker, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you know, molding plane's a perfect example. 18 months, three years, you know, right. is what you have to wait for those. <laughs> um, three weeks, wow. you will have a custom-made saw. That's insane. So he's turned into quite the... Uh, Uh, Quite the little factory up there, I think. He's a badass. The Henry Fords of saws, right? Oh, and and I just I must say, if you are a Hand Tool School member, you already get ten percent off your first Bad Axe saw, and Mark is actually extending that to you as well. So, Hand Tool Schoolers, you can get twenty percent off. Sweet, that's a nice discount. Only one saw, though. No, don't go buy six saws. (laughs) He will only give you that percentage on that first saw. Although I'm sure Mark would appreciate if you bought six saws. Yes. Absolutely. And so would you because they're good sauce.
3: Cool. All right. Around the web. Got a couple of links that you should probably know about. Matt, why don't you take that first one?
2: Okay. Well, Eric sent in this link and it's an article about a group that intends to use smartphones connected to solar panels to monitor for the sounds of illegal logging in the rainforest in real time. Now it proposes this method over satellite photography which is only good after the fact as they point out in the article and will eventually add a free app for crowdsourced monitoring. So we They're also saying that you can donate your Android phone to aid the cause. Now, I went over and I checked out the actual link itself, and it sounds pretty neat. It's More or less, they're kind of setting these things out there, and they're going to have a solar panel, make sure it's all charged up. And the whole idea is to try and kind of triangulate, is what it really sounds like to me, where the sound is coming from so that they could potentially get rangers out there to try and stop the illegal harvesting of, of the logs before... Well, before they harvested before wow. they get out of there i mean fortunately maybe they're going to come down it's kind of like one of those if a tree falls in the forest will a smartphone hear it well according to this <laughs> there's it a good will. chance it will
0: <laughs> That's kind i just cool. have this this vision in my head of like a room full of people sitting around basically listening to butt dial conversations <laughs> 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 just waiting for the sound of a chainsaw you know <laughs> I, I have an, i'm an hoping jump. there's some software in there somewhere that 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 You know, pings you when you get the sound of a chainsaw and it's not a bunch of, you know, third
2: world (laughs) children (laughs) sitting in a room. I I think there was I, I didn't read the article completely, but I think they are actually kind of trying to go in that direction to really, you know, come up with a really good way to to make it actually work and not just simply be like, did you hear that? Maybe that was a Jaguar call. Although I have this image of the uh, the illegal harvesters out there like, dude, this is awesome. They're leaving these smartphones all over the place. I can call my mom. I'm playing <laughs> nice. this one game that I keep hearing about. It's an emergency phone service in the, uh,
3: in the rainforest.
0: <laughs> it's got this exactly. big old solar panel
2: attached to it.
3: Oh, that's pretty wild. Well, Cool stuff. Oh,
2: that's awesome. Right, who's got so this? That uh, one's a, that's the first one we have on here.
3: Nice. Is this yours too, the Bad Axe? Um?
0: Oh, yeah. Look at that. There's another Bad Axe thing in here. Oh, well... Um, I, I had a conversation with Mark, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, and I was telling him that a lot of people, a lot of my uh, hand tool school members love the whole hybrid filing thing he does. And uh, he kind of laughed and he said, there's not a whole lot of mystery or science to it. And I said, well, you should write an article. And he did. And it's actually a really good article if you are confused at all about sawtooth geometry and what's you know what's the right saw for me, if I can only buy one saw, or if I can only buy two, this is a really, really well done page. He's got some really good graphics that he's made and put together. Um, so check it out. badaxtoolworkscom 2 slash filing. Cool beans. I
2: say, I've, I've never been confused by it because I just go, Hey, Shannon, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And okay, I just cool. I just call Mark Errol and say, Hey, what do you think of
0: this?
3: <laughs> nice. All right. Uh, Dan Sherman sent a link in and I linked to this earlier in the week when it arrived in my inbox from Popular Woodworking. Mario Rodriguez has a video out there. uh, It's under the Popular Woodworking YouTube channel where he's cutting a chair seat. You know how you scoop out a nice little chair seat dealy whacker but he's using the table saw to do it and uh, that's kind of different. So this video shows the process. He's got a pretty uh, elaborate jig set up to do it but if you think about it, you can cut coves at the table saw. So I guess if someone was imaginative enough to create a way to make a beautiful looking chair seat, it, it certainly can be done. So that's pretty cool. We'll put the, the link in there. You want to definitely watch that. It's pretty cool. And I think it, it uh, relates to an article that's in the current issue that just arrived recently from Pop Woodworking. So oh, was that's there cool. a new one out? Yep. Uh, I had it for about two days now, so it's fresh. Fresh and hot.
2: Are you kidding I me? I downloaded it while I was on vacation, and I said, I'm going to read this while listening to this great episode of a show I've never listened to before. <laughs>
3: With this guy who sounds awfully familiar.
2: (laughs) I am not inadvertently but purposely
0: going to throw somebody under the bus because I have had a digital subscription to this magazine for six months now and have yet to receive a digital issue every month. (laughs) Well, Megan well, sends it to me directly.
3: Well, it sounds like you don't have a subscription to this <laughs> that you think you have. I have a receipt. Have.
0: <laughs> I have a receipt showing I paid for it. Uh, just no, you a- just simply
2: have a digital receipt. <laughs> That's, That's right. what you actually have.
0: Jeez. You do not actually have a subscription. Well, someone, uh, someone in subscription has not flipped the switch, saying he is supposed to get that email. Megan, fix it. Well, it's not it. Megan's fault. She's Fixed not subscri- She's not in that distribution or whatever. She's She's the one who actually comes through for me every month and sends me an email. makes me feel real special. I get it personally delivered from the editor, uh, the executive editor, to my inbox.
3: When you're in charge, everything is your fault.
2: (laughs) Remember that. I've been watching a lot of Gordon Ramsay and that's very true.
3: (laughs) See? (laughs) All right, let's move into kickback. How about, uh, what do we have here from A. Jeremy Hopkins?
2: Yes, we actually have a couple of them here. hey And let's see, the first one here says, Shannon, in episode 131, you were sitting there staring at the computer. What was going through your head? No, just kidding. That's actually a trucky conversation. <laughs> uh, but it says Shannon, and 131, stated that in regards to the design of the shelves looking clunky, to pull out a full sheet of plywood and draw it on there. For shame. Wasteful to use a full sheet of plywood Shannon. when everybody has that roll of craft paper, nobody knows what to do with. Hmm. You, can, how, you can defend plywood, yourself there, paper, Shannon?
0: Same thing. <laughs> to Shannon, plywood is just like paper. He just said, yeah, to, "To my credit, I wasn't talking about like you know a faced quarter cherry ply on a you know combi core. <laughs> I was talking about like Home Depot eighth inch stuff. You know, well, I and, like it. I like the the I like it to be a little bit thicker so I can and eventually sometimes draw out templates. Yeah, and 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 cut out and templates from the same piece.
3: Was just about to say, in your defense, Shannon, that's what I do. I'll take either eighth inch or a quarter inch plywood." And the drawing process is in an attempt to make a template. So I've already right. got the material right there. That's the reason you're using the ply in the first place. But I
0: don't have a roll of craft paper. Neither do I. Am I supposed to have one as a woodworker? Am I uh, less,
2: less of a woodworker because I don't have a roll of craft paper?
3: You are supposed to have one and you're supposed to not know what to do with it. So <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got like
2: three that are actually in the wrapper right now. I should probably send <laughs> two of them off to you guys so okay. that you've got them.
0: There you go. No, so we can all be on the same person? page. Autograph it, please.
2: All right. Well, you know what? Uh, Jeremy actually sent in another one. And this one says with the growth of urban chicken farmers. Yes, I'm serious. More people will be looking for something to use for bedding. If you can find someone who is either selling coops, chickens or feed, see if they will allow you to post a flyer or notice that you have sawdust for sale. So I think that was from you guys last week. Yep. Talking about the sawdust. And he also goes on to say there's also those uh, wood burning stoves that run on pellets. We have a lot of those here in Michigan. And you might also want to check with a couple of local scout troops or district headquarters to see if anybody needs sawdust supplies to make their own fire starters, which is an easy and fun meeting to hold imagine all those nine-year-olds melting wax.
1: And okay.
2: uh, yeah, um, I, I don't really want to think about nine-year-olds and melting wax. That's mm, not going to go there. That's not the right show. It's um,
3: terrible. Let's let's move on very quickly from wow. that. Okay,
2: good. Yeah, thank you before I, I really, you know, people are like, it was so much better last week.
3: <laughs> all right, we uh, have one more kickback. This one is in voice form from Stu. And uh, Stu, by the way, this is two minutes and 22 seconds and I'm letting that go. I'm, I'm playing it on the show and I normally wouldn't just saying, that's
1: long. Hey guys, uh, this is Stu from Indiana. Uh, I I am still stuck back on uh, show number sixty five. I'm I'm trying to catch up, uh, but I I was just real excited and had to call in and uh, share some of my uh, ideas. I, in, in show number sixty five, it's talking about a uh, uh, Marvel. Uh, chisel the, the the old england uh, uh versus you know the new irwin uh you know possibly maybe china and whatnot um, you know i for for a lot of years now i have been uh, every time i get a chance i i search uh, antique shops and and whatnot uh, i surprisingly i find a lot of really great um Old tools that are really high quality. And, and here just recently, uh, I, I stopped at a, a, a nice antique shop and I found a, uh, um, a very lightly used uh, four-piece four set of the Eagle um, made marbles for like $60 at this antique shop. Um, along with it, I found a brand-new, still-in-the-box England made a uh, low angle uh, Stanley block plane um, and uh, and, uh, and it was oh, I think I picked that up for I don't know maybe forty dollars which is comparable to maybe you know a cheapy new one um, but it's obviously i mean it, it is old um, and and it's it's by far superior to you know, anything that I, I would, you know, ever buy locally at, at, you know, a home improvement store or whatnot, but um, check out the antique shops and things like that, and you'd be surprised at what kind of great finds you'd, you'd get your hands on, and, and, uh, and you know, depending on where you're at, probably some pretty great prices as well. So, thanks a lot, guys, and, and uh, keep up the good work, and, and uh, I really appreciate your, your efforts here. Thanks
3: a lot. Thanks for that, Stu. Very good tip. Uh, a lot of times we we kind of get raked over the coals for this, is we tend to forget to mention used and, and to look at you know where you can get this stuff secondhand because there's there's a lot of great stuff out there. Um so you know, forgive us in the future when we talk about tools if we happen to forget to say, Oh yeah, also check out the used market. Um, because we kind of consider that just kind of your 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 background option. If you have the means and you could seek this stuff out, then there's probably some great deals out there on really good stuff.
0: Well, I have to actually kick back to Stu and say I've had just the opposite experience, unfortunately. And I think yeah. it's my region. When I go to antique stores, they're so ridiculously overpriced. Mm, yeah. You know, like a number four, run-of-the-mill number four, they made millions of them for $130. And I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, wow. I might as well go buy a new one at that point. Yes. Um, it it, it mm. blows my mind.
3: Sounds like um, they've had a couple collectors come in and they just know that the the right person comes along, they're actually going to get that thing sold at that price.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's just nuts. I mean, it's gotten harder and harder to find woodworking tools in the antique stores. And if you go to a nicer antique store that has nicer stuff, mm-hmm. um, it, the prices are even more expensive. It's kind mm-hmm. of the same thing that's happening on eBay, right? You know, yeah. Vintage tools just keep going up in price. Where it's so. that you can darn Schwartz effect.
2: Oh, <laughs> Chris Schwartz.
0: Yeah, you,
3: where you could buy a Lee Nielsen for more than you could buy it brand new on their website. <laughs> right. Yeah, only Absolutely. on eBay. All right, uh, let's move right into the voicemail. We have uh, two, actually, today. First one is from our good buddy, Roberto. Woohoo. Hey, guys, how are you
1: doing? This is Roberto from Illinois. I have a question kind of pertaining to the same subject as the last show, 135. I, uh, I take all of my finishes and stains and put them in mason jars, you know, those jars used for canning. Um, and I know last time Mark talked about shooting up with oxygen before you cap it, keep the oxygen out. That's all well and good, and that's a possibility for me, but what would you guys think about using one of those food saver vacuum system dealing things and sucking all the air out of the mason jar? I mean, that would, I assume, negate using that oxygen. Let me know what you think if it's a good idea, or should I just go with the oxygen method? Thanks.
3: I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Right? I mean, you're getting all the air out of there. Bloxygen costs 13 bucks a can. You can get that, uh, you know, you could probably find cheaper, at least it looks like on Amazon, slightly cheaper if you buy the stuff that's meant for wine. Um, But you're still, I mean, 13 bucks for a can of what literally feels like nothing. And versus, you know, if he's got a machine that can actually suck the air out, why the heck not do that? Absolutely.
0: Isn't that essentially just kind of the same thing? Except instead of replacing the air with an inert gas, you're just removing it. Yeah,
3: that's just not there. Yeah, I I can't see any reason not to do that, Roberto. In fact, um, that's
0: a great idea. What is the the strength of a mason jar? When you remove the air inside, you create a vacuum. So now you're the full weight of one atmosphere pressing down on Mm -hmm. your glass mason jar. Well, it it wouldn't be more fragile. How does it work with canning? I was going to say, isn't isn't,
3: isn't canning (laughs) essentially doing the same thing by pulling it in with pressure?
0: You lower the boiling point of the
2: finish. I'm like totally (laughs) (laughs) being difficult at this point. Actually, uh, when it comes down to it, there was when I was working on the rings at first, and there was a discussion about you know uh, impregnating the the wood Hey-o. to make it uh, harder. And impregnating. <laughs> uh Yeah, nice. Thanks for taking me there. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, uh, what is it? Putting in a um, why is it totally escaping me at the moment? Like a a plastic to, to make it a little bit more stro- uh, stronger. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, a resin. Whatever that's called. Yeah, and somebody actually sent me a a quick little jig that they had created uh, using more or less kind of a similar thing, using a mason jar and kind of doing exactly the same action that you would be getting from that vacuum thing and just pulling it right out of there. And in fact, actually, I think this one had a little bit stru- uh, more pressure that you'd be putting on there and there wasn't a single problem with the mason jar. So it sounds like. Mason jars are like the they're bomb diggity. They're, well, they they'll hold up. I'm looking on Amazon right
3: now. I have no like knowledge of this stuff at all, but I I'm looking for a Mason jar vacuum and I found Food Saver wide mouth jar sealer and it's just this little hand pump deal. Yeah. And it fits on wide mouth Mason jars, seals it up. I don't I don't know anything about this thing, but it looks like that might be something and it's 10 bucks.
2: Dude, cool. send me a link to that because I bet you it's the same exact thing that uh, this individual sent me in, in their uh, their emails when we were talking about putting the resin into mm-hmm. wood and everything.
3: Cool. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. definitely something to look into. Better than spending 13 bucks on um, a product that you're going to have to go through a lot of <laughs> over the course yeah, no, of kidding. your, your woodworking <laughs> When you're done, career. you can
0: blow up your air mattress Ooh. or make balloon animals.
3: There you <laughs> go. Uh, all right, next voicemail we have here is from Kyle. It's, uh, it's a twofer. He's got two questions. Okay. Hey, Wood
1: Talk. This is Kyle from Chicago. I had a couple questions for you. First one is I have a the new rigid trim router, and it's got variable speed on it, and I was just curious as to your thoughts on how to adjust the variable speed, when to make it faster or when to make it slower. I'm just curious on that one. And also your thoughts on cabinet scrapers versus scraper planes if one has a benefit over the other. And I know for cabinet scrapers, you got to put the hook on the blade, but I didn't know if you also had to do that for a scraper plane. So any help would be great and love the show.
3: And Thanks. Bye. Very nice. All right. So variable speed on a trim router, as far as I'm aware, I never really even mess with that because I (laughs) – I don't put yeah. bits on the trim router to necessitate doing. that. I mean, typically that's when you're going to start raising down. panels with your trim router. <laughs> that would be something <laughs> else, man. Could you imagine? Woohoo. That would be like uh, Matt's nightmare situation all over again.
2: I was, just, I, I actually was starting to break out in a sweat thinking about. <laughs> I could
3: have had that at different speeds. <laughs> yeah, Kyle. Typically, uh, when it comes to variable speed routers, you're you're most of the time making that adjustment to the speed based on the diameter of the bit. And by nature, your trim routers aren't really going to be using very large bits, so that may not be a feature you use all that often. Um, I guess there may be situations with certain bits and certain material where you may want to play with that. But it's it kind of reminds me of the uh, the vac speed setting on a Festool <laughs> CT vac. Seriously, uh, it stays Why on not high. Turned
0: it all the way up. I don't I don't get that.
3: Yeah. So so there's that. Um, and I guess we're probably all in agreement on that. Um, now cabinet scrapers and scraper planes. Uh, I'll let one of you guys jump in on that. He basically needs to know can you or, or do you need to put a burr on a scraper plane? And, you know, what would be the differences between your typical cabinet scraper? I'm, I'm guessing he's talking about a card scraper versus right. a scraper plane.
0: Yeah, I guess a little terminology. When you say cabinet scraper to me, I'm thinking like the Stanley number 80 yeah, or right. the new Veritas, like little. Spoke shave looking thing, right? Gull wing thing. That would be a cabinet scraper, a card scraper. Of course, is a card and a scraper plane. That's pretty obvious. Um, I think you can put a burr on any of them. Um, what that does is it make it makes it cut a little bit more aggressively. Um, however, um, you don't really need to do it on any of them either. Um, that straight ninety degree corner will still scrape, um, but now uh, it's going to cut. I hate using the word aggressive because it's still taking like light and fluffy shavings. Um, But that's just it. With a cabinet scraper or a scraper plane, you can actually adjust the depth of cut a little bit. So you could actually get a little bit more more aggressive. Um, The issue I have with a scraper plane and setting the burr is the scraper plane presents the blade at a set angle. And if the burr doesn't cut at that set angle... Then you have a very inefficient plane. It's just not cutting. It's not cutting well at all. Um, so nine times out of ten, I think you're better off leaving the burr off a scraper plane um, because once you, a lot of these planes now have that adjustable angle, where you can move the blade back and forth to to get it cutting just right. If you throw a burr on there, unless you have a way to repeatedly set the angle of that burr. I don't know about you guys, but I eyeball it with a burnisher. <laughs> I'm not, oh, yeah, I'm not yeah. you know using you, a bevel gauge or anything like right. that. And on then you it.
3: find the sweet spot by hand, which, which like you said, is a little bit trickier to do when it's in a plane body.
0: Right. So you know when I use a card scraper, I'm presenting that card scraper at a different angle every time I sharpen it. You know, it's a minor, minor thing. With a scraper plane, you're locking that angle in place. So what I would want is a repeatable way to sharpen that, which to me is don't put a burr on it and leave it at 90 degrees.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So that's my two cents.
2: Well, you know, just recently, it's, it's funny that this is coming in because uh, Fine Woodworking Magazine, the latest issue that came out, uh, Phil Lowe does a whole entire thing on prepping a cabinet scraper, like mm-hmm. a number 80. And his big thing is that you do have to have the burr on there regardless of how steep or how uh, um, uh, Flat it is. I'm I'm. I'm just trying to remember what exactly what his recommendation was on there. But that was one of those things that he was adamant that for the cabinet scraper, you do have to have one on there. And I have the Veritas scraping plane. And they even recommend in the instructions, I was looking at it online, even just to double check myself here. And they recommend at least like a 15 degree angle on their on the scraper plane itself, but it is funny because, as you mentioned, you can kind of adjust it back and forth just like you would with a regular card scraper when you're doing it by hand to compensate for you know whatever angle you need to get it at. Mm-hmm. Do so, they recommend
0: putting a burr on the cabinet scraper or on the scraper plane?
2: Yes, yeah, fifteen degrees. Interesting. Yeah. Mm. You well, know, and I, and,
3: you know, and I could see, I could see what Shannon is saying there, though, because I've used some of those scraper planes, and I just mm-hmm. compared to you know the the other options, like a number eighty cabinet scraper and a card scraper. I always have a hard time just getting that sweet spot. And, oh yeah, you know, and I always thought it was a very similar thing because I know when I when I attack a, a surface with a card scraper, the first few steps or the first few passes, you're kind of evaluating the the condition of the burr and the right. the shape and location of the burr and finding that sweet spot, and that's a lot harder to do with a plain body. So, um, you know, I could see why someone might want to just keep it at ninety degrees. I think the thing is, you're more likely just to scrape dust. Uh, then yeah. actually take shavings with that ninety degree setting, but right. you know that's the kind of the trade off. Um, you know, but well, again, there's
0: probably like a window. You know, it's not like you have to be within a degree or it's not going to work. Sure, sure. Right. So if you're close, it probably is going to work. And I think that's the difference with a cabinet scraper and a scraper plane because you have a shorter sole. You know, a much shorter wheelbase. I think you've got a little bit more flexibility with a cabinet scraper because mm-hmm. I didn't. I didn't say this. I probably should have. I do put a burr on my cabinet scraper. Um, because I I really like my cabinet scraper to be set aggressive. I yeah. use it for like cleaning up glue lines and stuff like that and, you know, quickly leveling joints, um, like panel joints. Um, so I like it to cut really, really heavily like that. Uh, a scraper plane, because you've got a longer sole, you've got more reference surface, I think you are more fixed into that presentation angle. Yeah. But I don't I mean, make planes for a living. If Veritas says you should do it, then – Well, I don't know. (laughs) I'd have to experiment with it, frankly.
3: Well, just as a personal recommendation, if you can get a couple of old number 80 cabinet scrapers, Stanley number 80s, those are fantastic. They're super Mm. easy to sharpen. They're much, I find them much easier to roll that burr, especially for someone who's not too familiar with the process because it's beveled. You've got that 45 degree bevel, so it's actually less work to put the burr on there. And when you do, oh man, I mean, you could really, really do some serious hardcore scraping that's like borderline planing. Yes. Uh, And and if you have a couple of these, you can have either two sides of the blade, each tuned with a slightly different amount of burr on it. So you could have one that's set for fine, one that's set for aggressive, or if you have two of these units in the shop, uh, you could set one up for fine work and the other for aggressive work. And uh, I find that to be incredibly gratifying to use. Yeah.
0: That's
2: why yeah, I definitely. don't have a scraper plane. I've just never.
3: Yeah, I don't have one either for that same reason. Felt the
2: need for it. Well, you know, it's funny because I have the scraper plane. I think I've used it once, and that's because it was I took it right out of the box. It was all set up, and I got some great shavings with it. And then I decided, all right, I need to put the burr on there. I, I, I want to t- get things working on it. Make sure I can set it up myself. <laughs> I've never been able to set it up. I hate so that.
3: So <laughs> you fla- you went and flattened the sole with some sandpaper, right?
2: No, <laughs> I did not touch the sole of the plane. That was the that I know what I need to do. <laughs> Let me get this thing tuned up, Lee Nielsen. I'm going to send it back and be like, can you just one more time, just get it the way you have it, send it back to me. I haven't touched anything else. Oh, man. Classic Matt. All right.
3: Let's move into our email. We've got a couple good ones here. Uh, Three, actually. First one is from Chris. He says, I have $200 to spend. I want something for cleaning up joinery. Tenon cheeks and shoulders primarily. I'm considering the Lee Nielsen rabbiting block plane and the Lee Nielsen router plane. I could also use a nice block plane. So I'm leaning toward the rabbiting block plane. What should I get and why? And I suspect that we may differ in opinion on this one. So I'm going to just quickly go through what I consider to be some of the- I disagree. Perfect, (laughs) that's good timing. Um, Some of the benefits and and disadvantages that you might confront here. So for the, uh, let's see, where are we? I wrote this down. I'm that prepared. For the rabbiting block plane, basically you're looking at very easy to trim tenon cheeks, uh, you could do uh, wide half-laps if you are, are making them wide enough so that the plane body can pass through, or if it's on the end, you could do that because it's just like a tenon cheek. Uh, rabbits, of course. Um, tenon shoulders, a little bit harder if it's a small shoulder to get a, a rabbiting block plane on there, but I guess it's it's technically possible, just not ideal. And a uh, real big advantage here is the fact that he doesn't have a block plane yet. And while not the best block plane, it will still suffice in a lot of cases and can do a lot of the same work that a block plane can do in terms of that, just the general stuff that we pull a block plane out for. Um, The other thing is that rabbit planes, uh, they can work on larger scale pieces. So if you're doing a very large tenon that would normally exceed what a router plane can do, the rabbiting block plane doesn't have those limitations in terms of depth or having to have a surface to ride on. It's just a, a plane that you hold in your hand. Um, Now, for the router plane, you're able to clean a lot of the same things. You know, your tenon cheeks, your uh, half laps, uh, rabbits, uh, but you do have some additional things that you can do with it. You can trim dados and grooves very easily and and get them to a consistent depth. Um, You know, the other thing is because you have a set depth, the results are super consistent. So a router plane is just one of those tools that I think is a great entry sort of gateway tool for a new woodworker who hasn't really delved too much in hand tools, the router plane is one that a machine sort of woodworker can really wrap their brain around uh, because you set the depth, you lock it in, and it's almost dummy proof at that point. Um, But you do have to be concerned because you can't really, I mean correct me if I'm wrong here, guys, I can't think of a really good way to trim a tenon shoulder with a router plane. Uh, That seems very like it would be very tricky. Um, And you don't have the additional block plane functionality. So my answer to this is primarily the thing that's pushing me over the edge here is because he doesn't already have a block plane. If you already have a block plane and then you're trying to choose between these two, it then becomes a little bit more of an even race, I think. But because he doesn't have a block plane yet, I'm going to say, personally, I would recommend the, the rabbiting block plane as, as what to do with that $200.
2: I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to agree with you only because of the fact that he says that he could also use a nice block plane. That's the only reason why mm-hmm. at this point I would go with the rabbiting block plane. If you already had a, a block plane, I would suggest the router plane because something like cleaning up the, the shoulders of a tenon, you could, you could do that with a chisel. You can come in and, and yeah. kind of skew it necessarily or just even just work that. You can find a nice way to, to smooth it out, kind of do some pairing action in there with it. it cut them right in the first place. Or you could do that. That's a possibility, That's but I've never... <laughs> who's done something like that? Why bother? <laughs> when I you could know, always, you you just go
0: for very, very cheaply. I don't know offhand, but doesn't Ron Hawk sell a shoulder plane kit for, like, very little money? Um, it's
2: like $70 or something like that, because I, I ended up this making is more. This not very little money, but... Yeah. Um, littler money than what you could get at, say, Lee Nielsen or Veritas. Well, and
3: and you bring up a good point, Shannon, because you know uh, even if you could get a substitute for shoulders, if you're really if you got your setup done well, your shoulders really should not need a whole lot of help.
0: And if- I'm really glad to hear you say that because I was starting. Am I like a tenon shoulder savant or something? I don't <laughs> think I don't trim my tenon shoulders very much. Yeah. I occasionally will undercut them slightly with a chisel mm-hmm. um, if I'm having trouble, but. <laughs> I if, mean, if it's anything, a 90 degree cut. I mean, come on. Yeah, if right. anything, what you're going
3: to confront is when you flip your work piece into more, uh, onto its side to do the short shoulder side, you're going to probably wind up with a little bit of extra stock there. That's right. just, you're not going to use the shoulder plane for that anyway. You probably are going to use the chisel. Uh, So as long as you're set up, if I'm assuming maybe he's cutting these things at the the table saw, regardless, you're going to have stops in place, you're going to have a fence there, you're going to have things that are going to allow you to get good consistent 90 degree cuts. So if your shoulders aren't straight, address what's causing that first and then again, having that rabbiting block plane should fill in a lot of other gaps for you.
0: Well, I, I'm actually, you know, going to defy Mark and say I actually agree. We you... don't disagree on this. Oh, um, I... I am a huge fan of the router plane because it's like you, your utility infielder. It can do so much stuff. Mm-hmm. But he specifically says and cheeks and shoulders primarily um, – the router plane is great for housed joints, dados and things like that, um, where you need to, where the plane is riding on either side of that joint. Yeah. You can trim a tenon cheek by basically taking another board of the same thickness and putting it next to it and having the, the router plane, you know, one side of the router plane is running on that separate board and the other side's running on the, your project board. Yeah. But that gets to be a little iffy. I know uh, Christopher Schwartz demoed this in a video a while ago and everybody got all excited about the router plane and look at what you can do in making half laps and trimming tenon cheeks. In reality, when you try to do that, if your boards are ever so slightly not the same thickness, if your bench top is not perfectly flat, sometimes it gets to be difficult to actually secure those. Yeah, they well, need to be clamped you can use down. a holdfast and it pivots around on you or the holdfast is in the way of the router plane and you end up having to move the holdfast or the clamp or whatever just so that you can use the router plane. If the distance, if your tenon itself is more than about you know, two inches long, you have a real hard time spanning that distance with a router plane. I, I do not think the router plane is a good solution for trimming tenon cheeks. However, a rabbiting block plane is... It's the bomb diggity, to quote Matt, when it comes to <laughs> trimming tenon cheeks. Really fast. You know, you don't have that repeatable depth. But at the same time, we're talking make a couple of passes, fit the tenon. Just make sure you are you can make passes on either side so that you've got, you know, so your shoulders line up with your whatever your, your mortise piece is. But, I mean, that's the beauty, I think, of finessing these things with a hand tool is it's not set a depth and run it through it's i mean I, that's what's enjoyable to me you know make that pass and really dial in that fit and yeah. to me the the rabbiting block plane's the way to go so i think because he says 10 in cheeks that's the way to go not so much because he doesn't have a block plane because i think you can get a get around not yeah. having a block plane much easier but the router plane i think you're just gonna unless you're cutting a lot of dados and a lot of half laps i think that you'll miss the rabbiting block plane well, and you're not, I'm not changing my
3: answer, but I will. <laughs> I do feel that I need to defend the router. <laughs> you just want to disagree,
0: don't you? <laughs>
3: I do want to defend the router plane a little bit um, because I have had luck doing that. Like a lot of times, when do you just cut one tenon? You don't. So typically, you have more than one. So butt those two together. So you don't actually have to have a secondary piece. You just have another work piece, and you can actually work on both of them. Uh, you can also give yourself. And a- I'm
0: already done using my routing block plane.
3: <laughs> yes, but <laughs> just. No, see I, see, I disagree because I'm going to have two of these things together and I'm going to trim two of my tenons at the same time consistently and once I have that setting in place, I can actually keep the setting locked in, flip the work pieces over, I can in- ensure that my tenons are going to stay perfectly centered because my tool is at a fixed depth and then I could, if I maybe I have 10 of these things to do, I could just blindly bring the work pieces in and work each one of them. Of course, assuming each one is is exactly the same thickness. If there's any variability, then
0: I'm screwed. Um but are you are you like putting like 10 in to 10 in? Yes. And ref referencing the router plane off of the two shoulders? Correct. i understanding this right? Yes.
3: So instead of having a piece right. of scrap there, you're going 10 in to 10 in a- and you're trimming two at once.
0: That's a good way to do it. And now, I mean, what Shannon- is the width of one of those planes? I mean, well, and I guess that, how often are you cutting tenons that are longer than two inches long? Well, I guess.
3: most furniture, yeah. I mean, if you're doing smaller, medium scale stuff, it's it's mm-hmm. uh, it should be fine. But you can also just get yourself a little um, piece of half inch plywood and make a nice auxiliary base, which which I did for my router plane. And for even when you're trimming, just you know, stuff where where only one side is supported. Um, huge, huge difference in the way that it feels when you've got a wider base on that. So that's definitely an upgrade that I would recommend people do if they have a router plane. I think it really boosts the functionality of the tool.
2: Make it out a half-inch Plexi and it's even better. Oh, yeah. It's oh, awesome. That you would be great. see what you're
0: doing. That's even you know, better.
2: One plane I'm going to throw out there that is people will go with this direction because I know I've done it and it was quickly pointed out to me like, sure, it works, but you – Again, don't have that benefit like you would, say, with the router plane where you could set the depth and forget, kind of like the rotisserie thing, you know, (laughs) set and forget and walk away. Yeah, Um, But uh, a shoulder plane was one, like I took a class uh, with Chris Schwartz, and that was one of the things was, okay, you can use the shoulder plane, but when you're working on these tenons, that shoulder plane, you can kind of, especially when you have the medium-sized one that I have where it's like three-quarters of an inch wide, say you have that inch, inch and a half, maybe two-inch long tenon, as you're going along, you can have like a lot of these little wavy dips in there. Yeah. And so there might be some individuals out there are like, why not a shoulder plane? Sure, you could use a shoulder plane, but again, you could potentially run into issues if you're not paying close enough attention to suddenly having a, a tenon that would be thick on one end, thin in the middle, and mm-hmm. a different thickness at the point where it's touching the shoulders. Right. You That's say- actually why I
0: recommend buying the large shoulder plane and ignoring the other sizes.
3: <laughs> I did that recently, and I think I'm gonna sell my medium shoulder. Or yeah, my medium shoulder right. plane because I'm like I don't now that I have the large. I don't see myself needing this at all. Yeah,
2: I can't remember the last time I used it. It's terrible, yeah. man. Not me. I'm like Goldilocks. I like the one right in the middle because it's just right. <laughs>
3: it fits perfectly in my hands. All right, let's uh, let's move off of this topic, and we had made an executive decision because we're running long. We're gonna skip Matt's question because. It's kind of a deep question, as as is Shannon's, but we only have time for two deep questions. As today. punishment
0: for missing last week. We're yeah. gonna skip Matt's question. Skip it your question. I, I have to I have to just a thirty second interrupt right here. a couple of minutes ago I threw Popular Woodworking under the bus. Let me now pull them out from underneath the bus. I quickly sent an email to Megan. She has now emailed me back and DM'd me on Twitter, and I have the latest edition of Popular Woodworking in my inbox. Woo-hoo! So that's customer service. From folks, Megan? That's awesome. Yeah.
3: Did she fix the problem or is did she just she, band-aid she the problem? She
0: CC'd the, um, <laughs> the subscription circulation provider and, and uh. yeah, I think we'll finally get this fixed. But regardless, I got my copy of the magazine and it took, what, 30 seconds? There
3: you so. go. Well, That's and as awesome. long as uh, anyone else who has a problem, as long as you have a podcast and you can complain <laughs> about it publicly, you two could get fast service. I honestly don't think like that, that has anything to do with it.
0: All you need is my email address.
1: So. I'm just busted.
2: This will be really fantastic for a kickback later on. I want to see when the next issue comes out if <laughs> exactly. anybody else will come back in and ask Shannon, "Did you get it?" <laughs> right.
3: Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, just, I'm just, and I'm just, I'm joking. I mean, it, it'd be uh, hard. It, you're hard pressed to find any other publisher or editors that actually give a crap as much as in terms of like listening to what people in social uh, social media are saying uh, than the folks at pop woodworking I
0: think the fact that I have a podcast means that I have a filter on my email address
2: (laughs) I don't think it goes to the junk mail but it goes to the podcast folder there I bet you the knitters America the magazine they don't they don't listen to their people at all
0: Probably probably
3: not that's that industry.
0: All right, Shannon, you got a question here from Miles. Let's do it. Uh, Yeah, somewhere, if I can find it in the show notes again. Uh, if, uh, I can read it if you want. Oh, there minutes. it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. Miles says As a young woodworker without much disposable income, it is hard to just buy whatever tools or shop supplies I want. As I was also taught from a young age, it's not worth it to buy cheap tools. So I was just wondering where you think the appropriate places to save money and where I should definitely not skip out on quality and things. I could completely get around, oops, I'm not reading this well, <laughs> not skip out on things I could completely get around needing in the first place. This question includes tools, shop supplies, lumber, et cetera, wherever you guys find good ways to save a buck. Uh, good question, Miles. Um, well, yeah, I mean, tools, it's one of those things uh, where I think especially in the power tool world, mm-hmm. you really don't want to skimp. Um, as we were, we discussed earlier in a kickback, you can find ways to save money by buying vintage. Um, and I suppose in power tools, you could do the same thing, but I think restoring a vintage power tool takes a lot more work and know-how than restoring a hand plane. Um, I don't know. I could be wrong there. I've never tried it, but I've seen people who've put a lot of work into like 1950s, 1940s table saws and drill presses and they're things of beauty when they get up and running. But You know, you have to really know what you're talking about and you have to deal with a different tolerance. Whereas a hand
2: plane, you know, unless you're Matt, they're real easy to flatten. And, you know, it was my workbench at the time, I swear. It had a nice (laughs) little cup in it. That's where I rusted my coffee and it warped it.
0: Freaking frackers.
2: So, unless you have Matt's workbench, (laughs) it's really easy to
0: flatten the sole. Sometimes you don't even have to flatten it, you know, some judicious buying of a plane. So, I think. Hand tools, you know, the the uh, adage they don't make them like you used to, maybe it doesn't apply because <laughs> Lee Valley and Lee Nielsen make pretty impressive hand tools. But you can get good hand tools for and save a little money there. I know um, a lot of what we would, most people would call master cabinet makers that use Elmer's glue, you know, just regular <sighs> old white glue, you know, which is what, a quarter the cost of tight bond mm-hmm. yeah. It's so cheap. you know and there's a lot of there's probably a lot of debate open on that one but um, I know Chuck Bender uses white glue and if you can find something wrong with his furniture I'd like to hear it so that there's there's a little something there um, we had a question last week I think but somebody said they were getting incredible results from Minwax why yeah. would I need to buy general finishes right. there's a good one right there you know what's the cost difference like $20 huge a quart? yeah it's huge um, so i I think there's in the supplies area there's a lot of things um, there's a lot of things you don't need um, in in supplies. Woodworking's like fishing you know there's gadgets for everything and mm-hmm. you, you don't need a, a gadget to help you tie the fly onto the end of your line. you know just tie the dang knot mm-hmm. um, you don't need that gadget that holds the saw blade fixed while you use the uh, the table saw blade. you know that little orange thing that like grabs the saw blade. And then you use the wrench. To, uh, you <laughs> yes. don't need that. Grab a rag. Yeah. yeah. Um, now that's probably pretty obvious. But, Jam a um, piece of wood in there and get it done. <laughs> um, Do it the old fashioned way. On the lumber side way. of things, um, I, did a, I did a video about this in Good Get Woodworking Week, but look for a lumberyard. When you go to the lumberyard, look for their common, their common grade material. Um, FAS specifically says first and second grade means that you have to be able to get a clear cutting. Uh, that's six inches wide and um, eight feet long. Uh, And it has to be that way on both faces. Select only says one face has to be that way. Common, number one, number two common, vary a little bit differently, but it's like four inches wide and six feet long. Well, think about your average furniture part, how big it actually is. So maybe you have to cut around a few knots, but the cost difference between number one and number two common and FAS, say, cherry, is big. So um the, the only issue is sometimes it can be a little hard to find those because the sawmills like to sell first and second stuff and the common stuff goes somewhere else. But if you if you can find the sawmill that has common lumber, jump on it. You're gonna save a, a lot of money there and you're still gonna get some really nice wood. Cool. Good advice. Uh you know what? This is something that would be great for kickback. I think if anyone has
3: suggestions for Things where, you know, don't give us a big laundry list, but like one or two things that uh, you absolutely can save on and areas where you absolutely should not try to save money. If you have ideas, just uh, shoot that back at us and we'll read it next week. Absolutely. All right. Let's move into the iTunes reviews. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, you could look us up in the iTunes store. Just click on ratings and reviews and let Matt know how much you dig that chortle. <laughs>
2: Wait, that wasn't a chortle. Nice <laughs> what was that? <laughs> I don't know
3: what that was. That was lame. That was terrible, <laughs> uh, and we'd like, thank, uh, we'd like to thank we'd like to thank Sandhill Woodworks, uh, Jeremy German, C. Ivan B., uh, who in particular had this to say: "said I've been around for uh, I've been around some form of woodworking most of my life, thanks to pops." Uh, indoor outdoor furniture etc but I've never took the first step myself until listening to Mark, Matt and Shannon realized at this stage of my life at 34 with a wife and two kids that I wanted to change my hobbies up from a little solo player games and reading a a book sequestered away to something more productive something my wife and kids might be interested in too which my wife is really excited about learning woodworking that's very cool Awesome. Mm. So I rooted around online and found Mark's site and videos. I listened to 60 plus shows of Wood Talk. Now I'm the proud owner of a circular saw, router, drill, and I'm making plans to build my first project, a simple bed frame. Thanks for all you do gentlemen. Know that you're helping grow and educate the community of woodworkers. Ivan. Thanks very much Ivan. That's great to hear. Wow, I feel so special. Good things ahead for Ivan and his family. Uh, Remember, today's (laughs) show, that's not a joke, (laughs) but it's great that you (laughs) laughed. (laughs) and we can claim
2: credit for all those good things there you go um, at what point did you decide the marriage was going down he got into woodworking and dragged me along
3: it was all over after the stupid wood talk show um, alright remember today's show is sponsored by Festool at FestoolUSA.com and Arbortech at blog.arbortechUSA.com Uh, If you want to leave us a recurring, or sign up for a recurring donation, you could do that at woodtalkshow.com. Look in the left-hand column, and there's some links there. That helps keep the lights on here. And we'd like to thank donor Michael C., who uh, helped us out with a very generous donation. So thank you, Michael. We really appreciate that. And Matt, how about you do the honors of giving them the contact info, and we'll get out of here.
2: All right, folks. Well, hey, if you have a comment, a question, or maybe a topic suggestion, you have several different ways to contact us. You can leave a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. You can call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Voicemail is no longer than 10 seconds, please. Email us at woodtalkonline <laughs> at gmail.com or leave us a comment on our WoodTalk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. I'm kidding about the voicemail length. It's actually 15 seconds.
3: 15, 20 at the most.
2: We <laughs> yeah. are allowed to ramble all we want because it's our show. Exactly. You're you limited to 15 seconds.
3: <laughs> for, okay, less than a minute. Let's leave it at that. If it's less <laughs> than a minute, we're happy. All right, well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This
0: podcast is part of the Frog Pants Studios Network. For more information about this and other shows, visit frogpants.com